And just relaxing the belly. Allowing the body to settle right here, right now. Slowly moving the attention upward. Allowing the upright posture to place the weight of the body on the bones. And then starting at the crown of the head. And just becoming aware of the qualities of the earth element throughout the body. Noticing the firmness. The natural stability. Scanning downward, just moving the attention slowly through every part of the body. Just aware of the steadiness of earth in every cell.
Slowly, slowly moving downward. Just feeling the sense of firmness and stability. Now shifting the awareness to the presence of the earth element beneath you, external earth element.
Namo tassa bhagavato arato samma sambhutasa Namo tassa bhagavato arato samma sambhutasa Namo tassa bhagavato Arado Samma Sambuddhasa Bhutang Dhammang Sankhang Namasami These days, I have been working on a project of studying some old statues, <laughs> as you might expect. And, uh, and I'm looking specifically at some old statues of Maitreya. Maitreya is a bodhisattva, a uh, awakening being. And he is the, said to be the awakening being that will become the next Buddha. He, um, yes, he is said to be the future Buddha. And, uh, and in doing this research, I came across an old Chinese story about a conversation between him Maitreya, and uh, a lay character, a lay man named Vimalakirti. Vimalakirti was known as being an extremely wise lay person. Uh, he gets his own sutra. He's so wise. <laughs> From, uh, you could say, early Chinese Buddhism, Vimalakirti Sutra. And in the Vimalakirti Sutra, Vimalakirti, he is like the Hermione Granger of early Buddhism. He's like the know-it-all guy who goes around having conversations with people about uh, different Dhamma and basically, uh, you know, showing them up or trying to point them in a different direction. And so he has this, he has a conversation with Maitreya, and I'm going to share screen so we can see it for a minute, just because it starts with a very, very profound uh, point, but one that I think, uh, I'm hoping anyway, I will, um, we will be able to distill down to something that relates to our everyday life and particularly everyday life at this time of year. So can everybody see the screen a little bit? Yes, you don't need to read much. I'm just going to read a little bit of it to you and say a little something about what it means. So, um, so this is, again, this is a bit of the Vimalakirti Sutra. 
It's pretty old, if I recall correctly. It's around 6th, 7th, 8th century China. Don't quote me on that, but it's pretty pretty early uh, Buddhism from the Mahayana, from the, uh, the Bodhisattva path. And so here you see that um, this is Vimalakirti speaking. So again, he's a uh, very, very wise person. And he says to Maitreya, the person who has been, uh, who has received the prediction or the prophecy from the historical Buddha, or this is how the story is told, about becoming the next Buddha. So Maitreya, so, so Vimalakirti asks Maitreya, he, or says to Maitreya, Maitreya, the Buddha has predicted that only one more birth stands between you and perfect enlightenment. What kind of birth is it? Is it a past birth or a future birth or a present birth? If it is a past birth, then it is already done. If it is a future birth, it will never arrive. If it is a present birth, it does not abide. So what is Vimalakirti talking about here? This is pretty, this is pretty uh, not everyday language here. So what he is pointing at is uh, time viewed as a continuum. This the the past has resulted in the present moment the present moment is going to result in the future and by this activity of causality then it's all connected then all time is thought to be connected together the past present and the future forming one whole reality And similarly, he's talking about the physical world in this way also. He's talking about birth, what happens in the physical world, in the past, in the future, in the present, in the future. So the past is completed. Those past moments of time are already done, even though they are still having their effects. And the, or they may still be having their effects. Some things get completed and then they're done, and their effect is kind of baked in, if you will, or their effect is already within what's here. And then the present moment, it says, he says it doesn't abide. What does that mean? It means the present moment is also always in a state of formation. Right? That the present is so brief that we can't put our finger on it because there is this constant state of formation that is happening from moment to moment and yet there is a present moment that's where we live that is what's what's happening right now and right now and right now but the and then the future he says it will never arrive meaning that that um The future is also not something that can be pinpointed. It isn't a fixed place. 
right? So when you have this prediction, then what's happening? This is what he's kind of pointing at when there's some kind of idea of what will happen in the future. It is it is based on, we have to understand it within this context of the process of arising and the process of causality. But then he goes on to say one more thing, and then I'll I'll stop with the big... <laughs> With the big picture, and we'll bring it down a little bit more. And then he goes on to say one more thing, which is he, he starts to talk about reality. So jumping down a couple of paragraphs, we see, your reality is not born and it doesn't cease, nor will it be born or will it cease. It is the same reality of all living beings the reality of all things, the reality of all the holy ones or the awakened ones. So as I often say, there's only one reality. Reality means everything that is true, that is here. There can only be one reality to which we are awakening. It's not that there is some reality that... Uh, that belongs to you and one that belongs to me. It's not like that. So when, uh, so, so he says below toward the bottom here, reality doesn't consist of a duality or of a diversity. So again, he's saying that it's the whole. When we talk about reality and when we talk about awakening and when we talk about time and when we talk about place, we need to understand it in terms of the whole. So this is a very big picture view. This is a very high level view. Maitreya doesn't actually even answer him. <laughs> the future Buddha doesn't actually answer Vimalakirti in terms of any of these questions. Um, Later on, they go on to have another encounter, which is a little bit different. But um, but but this is the first time that they met, actually, <laughs> Maitreya and Vimalakirti. So I bring this up because I want us to start at this very big picture view today. The very big picture view of the whole of reality and all things and all times and all peoples within that as being connected, as being completely woven into this one big picture reality. And now having started at that place, and you may or may not decide you're willing to start at that place, and I'm happy to have that conversation or not, but let's say that having started at that place, of the big picture view, then what? Then how would that inform us? Why would that be wisdom? And what would that kind of wisdom look like in the world today? So at a deep level, at a very pervasive actually level also, completely across all things, um, what this, what, uh, what we're talking about here is interconnectedness. We're talking about the way 
that things are actually co-arising or actually dependent on one another for their presence here. We are actually dependent on all sorts of things for our presence here. So this, the example that I sometimes give about this is you is a night star. Yeah, so maybe you go out at night. I'm living in a place right now where it's hard to see the stars because there's so much light. But um, once in a while, you can see one or two bright ones. Uh, but But you know, you might know, you go out at night and you look up and you see a star in the sky. And so what is the physical phenomena that's happening there? Very, very mundane physical phenomena that's happening there, right? Is there some light that traveled billions and billions of miles to reach your eye? And that light makes contact with your eye. And then your consciousness is able to attend to that in some way. And there's a moment of contact. and a moment, perhaps, of recognition, of perception. Ah, star. Right? So that's that star and you are connected in that moment. You're interconnected. You perceive that star. Billions and billions and billions of miles away, that thing. Right? That's just how we're built. It wasn't anything fancy. And that star, as you may know from physics, may already be gone. It may have completely imploded and become a black hole now or been merged with some other star or just burnt out and become a pile of dust in the time that it took for that light to reach your eye. So you might be seeing the star, but the star might not actually even be there anymore. So do you see how you are connected with that star, even across time? Nothing special, no magic, (laughs) nothing fancy, no special metaphysical understanding required. It's just like that. We're just built like that. So what about this? What does this mean in everyday life? What would would life be like to live from that place of understanding that? That complete interconnection across time and across space. Well, one thing I would like to propose is, one thing is, it might mean that you would be more generous if you really had that understanding of the complete interconnection of all things across space and all things across time. Why? Well, because each and everything is mine and not mine. Right? Each and everything. Things like the star, things like the people in my life, things like the coffee cup, 
Ajahn Chah, very famous, very revered Thai master, is famous for saying, the coffee cup is already broken. Right? What does that mean? It means at some point, it will be impermanent. It will reveal its impermanent self, and it will break. And he says, it's already broken. Really? So Ajahn Chah is also speaking across time in this way. So if it's already broken, is it mine? Is it not mine? Is it both? Mine and not mine? So I could, I could, perhaps you could look at your coffee cup and say, okay, I choose when it becomes not mine in the very physical, simple sense. Right? You might be more generous about it. Because you know that that act of giving, that act of generosity, is merely demonstrating the truth of, at some point, the reality. And it's fostering that connection. It's making that connection manifest. So if I give the coffee cup to you, then I'm making that connection, that inner connection, that is much more profound and inevitable. I make it manifest in a very simple way. It shows up in the world suddenly. There's a beautiful story about countries, and I'm sorry to say that I don't recall which countries they are, but um, somebody was giving a talk about how gifts are symbolic and why we give and why, uh, why even, even nations give gifts to one another as ways of expressing their interconnection, right? And so there was this one country that wanted to give a gift to another country but without um, kind of showing off the differences in their different economic status. And so the one country gave some cows. <laughs> and those cows became very famous because they were like the special cows that came from the other country. Right? But they're just cows. But it had a symbolic meaning. Yeah. of that interconnection across space and across time. Or there's a beautiful story also about Ireland and Native American people, right? So when the potato famine was happening, if I'm telling the story, if I remember the story correctly, when the potato famine was happening in Ireland, the Native American people sent food to them. Because before that, there had been some, some way that the Irish had helped the Native Americans when they went through their loss of their lands here, there, in the United States. And so when the opportunity came, there was, there was potatoes flowing in the other direction as a way of showing the connection, right? Remembering that connection, revealing that connection. 
And sometimes it's good to go first, you know? Sometimes it's helpful to go first, even if it's something very simple. So in my book about giving, I wrote a story about Gerardo and I, Gerardo and I, Ahimsa and I, at the farmer's market there in California a number of years back. Gerardo was one of the, the farmers who would sell his produce at the market. And uh, Ayahimsa, my fellow bhikkhuni from Aloka Vihara and I, we showed up at the farmer's market for the first time at this place, the two of us together at this new place. They had actually moved the farmer's market physically also, so it was kind of new for everybody being there at that place. And... Uh, and Gerardo walked up and asked us some questions about who we were and what we did. And then at some point, he looked at us and he, and he pointed at this bag that we brought. This wasn't the first day that we met. This is later, weeks later. He walked up and he pointed at this bag that we would bring with us in our optimism <laughs> of maybe receiving more than enough vegetables to fit in the bowl. and. Um, and he said, hey, can I have that? And Ahimsa and I stopped for a moment because the bag doesn't actually belong to us. It belongs to the monastery, formally speaking, as monastics. That's, that's not our personal, uh, our personal property to give. But we only stopped for a second, thankfully. And then I looked at Harada and I said, sure, yeah, have the bag. So he takes the bag and he walks over to his table full of piles and piles and piles of fabulous produce and fills the bag so heavy that he's got to hold it with two hands and comes walking back to Ahimsa and I with a huge smile on his face. He's like, here, have your bag back. <laughs> and he was so happy with having you know, with having the chance to make that gift, which was a beautiful, beautiful, you know, happiness for us too. Not because, not so much because of the gift, although the gift is nice, but just to see how much joy it brought him and to see that giving him the bag, that just giving that moment of friendship and trust and like, yeah, okay, if you need the bag, have the bag, right? That turned, you know, completely on its head, right? that turned into a beautiful start to a relationship between Ahimsa and Gerardo and I and the whole monastery with Gerardo. We would go back and chant for him, of course, as we always would. But also his generosity, right? This is somebody who makes a living by selling these vegetables. And yet, that was what he did. He didn't walk over to the rotten ones and give us the rotten ones. He walked over to the good veggies that he was going to sell. Because that, then he felt good about his own gift. And then he felt good about the connection that he'd made. And he knew that those are not his, right? If he doesn't sell them or give them away, they're just going to go bad. Because they're not his, and they're not not his. Mm -hmm. 
They're just in their process of being. And we were in our process of being. And there we were making manifest our connections. Our beautiful interconnection. So maybe some generosity, some giving, some sense of connection, some sense of interdependence with other beings would be right there in your everyday life if you were able to live from this big picture wisdom that Vimalakirti is talking about. And ultimately, that continues to unfold. It unfolds over and over again. We do, as my master Sekeharada used to say, we practice non-attachment by giving in whatever way we give. We keep practicing non-attachment in various ways, maybe in our meditation, maybe in our speech. And when that opens up, when that real sense of interconnection opens up, then there's also a sense of compassion. Right? Because you know that those people are also you. You know that you are also in some deep way related to them. Shohaku Kimura um, is a Japanese man who came over here early in the 60s, mid-60s, I believe, actually. And he, uh, he became a teacher and an author. He's written a lot of books about this kind of practice. And he used to he used to come every once in a while to San Francisco Zen Center and give a talk uh, during the years that I was there, probably still. As a, as a matter of fact, he's definitely still uh, talking with them, although he has a monastery out in Bloomington, Indiana. Or is it Bloomington, Illinois? No, Indiana. <laughs> and because um, there is a Bloomington in Illinois, too, but he's not in Illinois. Um, and he used to use the hand. I loved his metaphor of the hand, right? So, so if I'm the thumb and you're the finger, then maybe if I'm not aware of things, then I look at you and I say, we are nothing alike. I'm not the same shape as you. I don't have the same number of joints as you. We're in a different part of the world, you and I. <laughs> right? But then once you understand the hand, right, then you can't, then, then th those things are still true, right? But you would never harm this person. You would do, you would never harm this finger, right? You would do whatever you could to take care of that finger because you know the whole hand. So the compassion also comes 
not just the generosity of moving things from one place to another, but also the compassion of knowing a relationship in a very, very deep way. So at this time of year, now Thanksgiving is coming up next weekend for some parts of the world. <laughs> and, um, you know, then Christmas will come. Actually, then Buddha's birthday, December 8th, the Buddha's uh, Enlightenment Day, rather. Buddha's Enlightenment Day is called Rohatsu, means literally 8th of December. Always a good day to celebrate. And um, then Christmas or Hanukkah or Kwanzaa or whatever number of different holidays here so we might be celebrating in December and then the new year. But notice that the gratitude comes before the generosity. Thanksgiving comes before Christmas. The gratitude for knowing, knowing this way of being, having this wisdom in your life. It's a beautiful thing to remember. It's helpful to remember. So may you all have wonderful, wonderful, big, beautiful mind of knowing your interconnection with all things. And letting that give you a heart of generosity, of compassion, and of receiving those things. Because that's how we're built. That's how we're built. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.